This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, We have a little bit of a late start today because I was the keynote speaker at the Christian Business Luncheon here in St. Louis, and it was a huge turnout, and I got to meet so many amazing people. And so if you are tuned into the podcast uh, or watching the live stream or however you're accessing us, and you're one of those people that I met and got to shake your hand today, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for actually finding us and tuning in to us and connecting up with us. And thanks for being there today. I thought it was a fantastic event. So many wonderful business leaders and, and really not-for-profit leaders who are doing amazing things. Uh, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, if, if you ask me. Uh, one of the things that I think is so amazing is how many not-for-profits there are in this country, how many of them work with disadvantaged groups, and how little credit they receive for the work that they do. Most of us think that anything that helps the poor or the disadvantaged or the, the, the homeless, fatherless, what have you, comes from the U.S. government. And our government does provide an enormous safety net system, you know, no doubt about it. But it's the not-for-profits who pick up where the federal government has left off or they're there in the trenches and they're working in spite of or in conjunction with or separate and apart from the federal government and doing things that, honestly, I heard things, services that are being offered to people that I'd never heard of before today. So wonderful to connect up with those fantastic people, a godly group of individuals who they, they run godly uh, businesses. So Christ-centered business. I heard that over and over again. So for the encouragement today, I want to give you a, just, a, it's a, just a little taste of what was the speech earlier today. And I want you to be encouraged by this because a continuing theme of the show has been, you know, listen to the intro, activated by contract termination. Well, I'm independently syndicated now, and I'm beginning to just get the very teensiest little glimpse of what it is that God has in store for me with this new adventure, and I want you to be encouraged. And so I believe sincerely that sometimes I'll tune into a podcast and I'll get something from it. And I'm like, whoa, I, I, you know, I'll literally be like, why did I tune into this? How do, how am I, someone will send me something like Noah sent me, a, um, this it's a, well, it's a video, but it's, it's meant for me to listen to because it's kind of geared towards radio hosts. And I was listening to that this morning and I was like, whoa, I was blown away by the content. And so sometimes you'll hear something and it's just a seed. Sometimes you'll be blown away. Sometimes it's just like, oh, that was good, but it's meant for something. I don't believe in accidental anything. And so I love this quote by Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. You know, he's no longer with us, but his impact lives on today in the decisions he made as a Supreme Court Justice and the work of his children. They had a large family and a very, very prolific family when it comes to their educations and their achievements, but they're largely been kind of in the shadows and he's been the face of their family. And now that he's gone on to be with the Lord, his work, it still has so much impact and One of the speeches that he wrote, he had this quote, and this is from him, quote, God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity, be fools for Christ, and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world, close quote. So I want to share that quote with you along with this scripture verse, because I want you to know that whatever journey you're on, whatever the adventure is that you find yourself in. And let's face it, when you're in an adventure, you may not, you you know what, you know what I notice? Rarely do I feel like when I'm sick in my body and I can't do anything but read cards from people who are, they send you a prayer in a card. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. It's an amazing experience because it takes you completely out of what is is happening in your body and you end up, um, kind of communing with the Lord through the prayer of someone else. And often that person doesn't know you. That's what happened to me when I was sick, you know, years ago, I've talked about how I was sick for like four years off and on. And I was kind of basically bedridden at one point and people were mailing me cards 
from my family members' churches all across the country where we have extended family, they would say, write a, a card to my, you know, my cousin, my niece, whatever. And then they would mail them to me. And sometimes they'd mail them directly to me. So I'd see the return address. I'm like, I don't know who this person is. And I open the card up and it's just a prayer. She's just praying for me. She's written the whole inside of the card as a prayer that she's prayed to God for me. And I read it. And then, you know, you're so blessed by that. It, it really, it brings you to tears because you think some stranger is praying this prayer for me. And so it's the same thing for us as Christians, only it's in reverse when we talk about being fools for Christ. Because First of all, let's face it, nobody wants to be called a fool. It's a pejorative. It's an insult. Nobody wants to be a fool. But when you decide you're going to be a fool for Christ, you turn that pejorative into something amazing because that is the ultimate sign of not just obedience, but allegiance to Christ, a devotion to him that is rewarded in so many different ways, ways that we actually can't quantify. And so I had three points in the speech today. I'll give you those and the the scripture verse and then We'll move on to, I guess, the topic of the day is the Mueller report. And I totally want to hear from you on that. Um, So three main ideas here. Pray and trust God in the process and watch as he takes your strengths and supercharges them. And the scripture for that is, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace and not disaster, plans to give you a future filled with hope. Two, to prepare for promotion at work or success in your workplace, get closer to God at home. Now, the scripture that goes with that is being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then point number three, keep working. Your work is never wasted. And the scripture for that one is, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So take those with you. If you're in this valley, um, valley experience or, you know, contract termination experience, or maybe you've decided you're leaving your workplace because you have something else that you're called to do and you've just made that decision. And now you're kind of second guessing yourself. Keep working as if unto the Lord as your ultimate employer, your ultimate boss, the ultimate one you want to want to, um, please. And also keep in mind that So we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what step three and four and five is. We just know what the next step is and we have to take it in faith because so it's much easier for a captain to steer a ship that's moving, right? So if you stay in the same spot waiting to make a decision because you're not sure, well, I'm not sure what happened. And I'm not talking about rushing into things. I'm talking about you've prayed, you, you have your options before you take, take a step, take a step, this move the ship. So that God can continue to steer it and he'll lead you along the path to help you to get to where you need to go. Um, Whoever has, you know, because it's not about whoever terminated the contract. It's not about any of that. It's about where you're going now. Um, And so to close it out, I, I use the arrow analogy. You so if you take an arrow and you put it in the bow and you pull back and you only pull back a little bit, the arrow is going to just basically fall to the floor. But if you actually take the time to engage the proper stance and you pull that bow back as far as you can, and then you take the breathing, you know, the exercises, you're breathing, you're, you're getting your rhythm set and you take aim and you wait until you have the maximum pull that you can possibly have before you release the arrow, it's going to go far and it's going to be true and it's going to hit the mark. And so I choose to view every setback as that reserve energy, the pulling back of the arrow. I'm still going to hit my mark for Jesus Christ. This may be what feels like a setback, but I choose to view it as stored energy. And I want you to feel that way too. I want you to be encouraged. I don't want anybody to be listening to this program and hearing my voice and not feel encouraged because in the end, have you read Revelation? Do you know how this thing ends? Yes, we have trying times. We will have tribulations and persecutions and the, the just we're going to have some rough moments, rough times, but God is with us through it all. And so be encouraged about that. OK, now, so let's just basically first of all, you need to know you can call into the show 866-766-1776, 866-766-1776. If you want to weigh in, did you watch the Mueller uh, testimony today? So what I noticed from some friends who were providing feedback and all that stuff is that, um, so nobody feels that Mueller was responsive to the Republicans who had questions for him. 
He also had a emotional support puppet with him who could help him through the questioning, which to me, it kind of demeans him because he was the special counsel for all these years. And I, I just, I kind of, from all the pictures we've seen of him, you know, getting into his Escalade and driving away or being driven away and the harsh kind of, you know, he has this like rugged look to him. I just always imagined him as being this, he's like a, a whip cracker. You know, he's the kind of guy who does, he takes no excuses and that he had a gruff voice and his demeanor was really tough. Well, he sounds a little bit like a pansy, y'all. Sorry. Uh, okay, I'm not sorry. What? Why? Why? Why pretend? I'm not sorry. Um, he doesn't sound like somebody who was even really all the way in charge of this thing. So the Dems made themselves look silly because what new came out of this? And and Americans have already decided, polls show that Americans feel that the whole thing was Hmm, I want to be accurate here. Polls actually show that Americans felt that this was an unjust type of a prosecution against the president because they don't have any evidence that shows that he actively worked with the Russians to obstruct or to materially impact the elections. And we knew that all along. So people who convinced themselves that it wasn't true, it's it's I liken it to people who, um, you know, you have a problem. Um, you know, maybe, maybe maybe you're you're spending too much money. You know, so this hypothetical person has, uh, uh, you know, spending too much money is a spending problem. And instead of stopping the spending, basically going on, you know, like a spending fast, where the only things you're allowed to buy are things to eat, things to keep your house, you know, so electricity, gas, etc. But no, no, no choice spending, no home improvement, no home decor, no clothing, no shoes, no cowgirl boots, um, no outside services like haircuts and, you know, shampoo and blow drying, no dyeing, any of that stuff. You're not getting any of that stuff done until you can get your budget under control. And then you go to the next level and you start cutting stuff out. You're going to cut out all of the extra stuff that you pay for. You'll keep the internet, but you'll cut the cable. You'll cut your Hulu service, your Amazon, all that stuff. So you cut down to the bone to try to balance out the spending. And then you have to make even more difficult choices. Can we keep this house? Can we keep, you know, if you have more than one car, can you keep more than one car? Do you have more than one car payment? So then you start getting down the nitty gritty. And the way the Democrats are acting about 2016, where they're still trying to reverse the, the election result, it's kind of like people who they're, they're totally underwater and they're in debt. They can't keep living the way they're living, but they continue to hit the Starbucks on the way home, you know, run out and buy a pair of boots on impulse buy. They see a cute tablecloth at April Cornell, like I just did. I saw it, but I didn't buy it. Um, And it goes on sale and they pull the trigger and buy it because, you know, who can't use another cute tablecloth? Well, you can't if you're underwater and in debt, right? If your balance, if your, if your budget doesn't balance, you can't afford that. And this is a decision that we've, we've all seen it before. People declare bankruptcy. They have all kinds of problems. And when that happens, they'll often say, well, I just didn't see it coming. Oh, yes, you did. You did see it. And with the Democrats, their loss in 2020, they can see it coming now. Because what are they talking about? Well, what I've seen so far is a lot of discussions about reparations, um, which is a no-go. No one's getting any reparations. So if you're one of those people who think you deserve it, sit down, lean back, Take a few deep breaths, some cleansing breaths, and allow this information that I'm about to share with you to, to, to sink into you. You are not getting reparations. I don't care what Japanese people got or what Jewish people got. That ship has sailed for black Americans, and rightly so, because we did not receive cash reparations, but we have received other forms of reparations. And the way forward for Americans is to stop looking at what's behind and to start to look ahead and say, what do I have in common with these other Americans? Instead of, how diverse are we? What's different about us? How about our multiculturalism? Who cares about multiculturalism? How does multiculturalism join us together as a society? Does it, And if you're a Christian, and you say, well, I think we should get reparations because these other groups got it, and I'm a Christian, and I believe that God, you know, he, he is a restorer. Yes, he says he will restore what the locusts have eaten. He will give you back. He, he pays back more than what's, what's owed. He's the, he's the God of abundance. He says, you know, give me the first 10% of your income and I'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. That's too great for you to even receive. He talks numerous times in the Psalms about sending his blessings after you so that the blessings chase you down and they overtake you. So your blessings are ahead of you and to the side of you and to the back of you. 
if you serve a God like that, what do you need with a government reparation? Something that will just increase your tax burden and will make you and your brother have enmity between you. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I said it. All right, we'll be back with more after this. Keep it here. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste, because wildfires can even start in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in! Come on! Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark, and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad... Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom! Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. And, uh, you know, we had a little delay in our actual start time today because I was speaking at an event and um, then I had actually a hit on a national TV show that I did before I came on here. So watch this space where if you're live streaming from someplace or if you're on the podcast, watch this space and I'll definitely have an update on when you can watch that. Um, I also just want to say, you know, thanks to everyone who's been sticking around and who's who's been reaching out and sticking around for this new digital adventure we're on, um, self syndicated, independently syndicated. Um, this is this is an adventure, and I'm so glad to be on it with you. Um, so I wanted to give you a little bit of um, a, like a, a kind of a recap of the Mueller testimony. Um, so I didn't get to hear every bit of it, but from what I heard, it was kind of an embarrassment for the Democrats, and here's why: um, the testimony actually damaged him. And it was intended to damage President Trump. 
So these kinds of cheap shenanigans by the Democrats don't bring them more votes. It actually turns off serious-minded voters. And it, and it's not that people are changing their mind about what they believe on issues. It's that they feel as if they're being um, – it, it's, it's, it's an insult. They're being insulted by the Democrats because their intelligence is being insulted. And the whole intent of this was to resurrect the dead horse of impeaching the president – they already just they just so just recently had a vote. I think it was last week. Um, they had a vote on impeachment and it resoundingly was voted down. They're not the House is not impeaching the president. So it wasn't helpful to special counsel Robert Mueller. I already told you he looked very discombobulated. He looked weak. He looked ineffective. Um, and the Democrats who forced him to testify looked silly because so here's you, you would want to force somebody to testify if that testimony would be damaging to your target. And even if the person who was doing the testifying didn't come off as well as you would like, if what you got out of them served your purposes, then it would be worth it to do it. But if you can't get what you want out of the testimony, and if the person that you're forcing to testify won't say what you want them to say, then you're kind of running in the blind and you, you're going to hit whatever is out there that you can't see. And when you hit it, it's going to be a train wreck. And that's what happened. Um, Mueller was extremely hesitant. He didn't sound, uh, you know, forceful. He didn't come in there and ride in like a lion and kind of, you know, set out this, you know, very kind of damning set of, of, of facts that, that could be used ad nauseum by media and, and other types to, to bludgeon the president on the way into the election here. He repeatedly refused to comment on matters that were not mentioned within the four corners of his report. He even declined on occasion during this morning's testimony to comment further on names and items that were mentioned. So things he could talk about, he didn't even want to talk about those. Over and over again, he asked lawmakers to repeat their questions as if he was battling a hearing problem or a comprehension issue. With some frequency, he could not recall or understand the contents of the nearly 450-page document that he wrote, right? So this is the rundown of all the things that went wrong with this thing this morning. And I think this is like, the, let's say this is the analytical rundown, right? And there, there is a place for the analytics, but there's also the kind of just, you know, drive by assessment of what happened. It's the, the lay person's response to what they heard today. And it's not good. It's, it's not good. I don't see people anywhere on social media going, Woo, that was great. Mueller, you know, knocked it out of the park. Rather, they're trying to kind of point to any little thing that he said that they can kind of capitalize on, and there wasn't even much of that. So uh, he didn't inspire confidence. He didn't seem sharp. He didn't seem tough-minded. Um, he didn't even seem as if he was fully in command of the work that he spent $40 million taxpayer dollars to, to bring to us. In, so I don't want to comment on his integrity. I don't know this man. Um, before he became the special counsel, I had no knowledge of him whatsoever, as as is appropriate for someone who works in government. We're not supposed to know all of their names. They're not supposed to be celebrities. That's the antithesis of what the founders actually had in mind for us to have the people who govern over us be famous or like AOC and the squad constantly seeking media attention. It is as it should be that we don't know who he was until he became the special counsel. But... His probe, when looked at from the historical perspective, and I know we're really close to it right now, right? It just came out this year. But two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, where do, where do we see not just the public, but historians, um, people who will then, by then they'll be only mildly acquainted with it. How will they view his work, the work product, the effect of it, its impact? I don't see it being viewed positively. So he appears to have been at this point, judging by his testimony today, somewhat of a figurehead, meaning he wasn't really in charge of this whole thing. He wasn't the driver. So that, that makes, that makes me ask who was. So he was a quote unquote Republican and he was placed in charge of the investigation but he wasn't really in charge of it. It was really a group of Democratic prosecutors who led the probe. So strategy-wise, the Republicans were not in charge of whether or not Mueller was going to come and testify. 
the, the president refused to forbid him from coming to testify. So he came and he testified, and the Republicans appear to have taken the tack that they would cast doubt on how much he was actually in command, and they would kind of separate him from the report, thereby removing the legitimacy of it because the Democrats have spent the past two years telling Americans that because Mueller is a Republican and he's leading the investigation and he was so doggedly on track and he wouldn't give up on it, that it had to be legitimate. So by decoupling Mueller from the report and showing him of his own volition to be very reluctant to even claim it, now it's really just a bunch of angry Democratic prosecutors who were acting at the behest of the Democrats to take down a duly elected president. You're welcome, anybody who's working on campaign 2020, just take that and you can play it ad, ad nauseum. You can have other people voice that over. That is the, that's the ticket. Mueller report, bunch of angry Democrats out to get the president and reverse the results of the 2016 election. Bim, bam, boom, done. You don't even have to put a pin in it. That's a gift wrap little soundbite right there. So I think we're going to hear that a lot. I don't think I've, I've actually even coined anything that other people, other strategists have already written that down and they've already got people lined up to start saying it. They're probably scripting commercials on it right now. So there were a few made for TV moments, um, but Mueller's disorientation and halting responses actually limited Team Nadler's capacity to get these kind of highlight reel type sound bites. So the Democrats got a couple of little gotcha moments, but the problem is that Mueller was only affirming damaging looking facts and allegations that were listed in the document that were already made public. These allegations have already been picked apart and argued over to the point of you're not even beating a dead horse anymore. You're beating the spot where a dead horse once lay and the carrion and, you know, foul of the air have already come through and picked the bones clean. And then the heat of the sun has disintegrated the bones. And all that's left is the memory of the dead horse that was there. And the Democrats are now furiously beating the memory of a dead horse, not the actual dead horse because it's rotted away and it's not even a carcass left. (laughs) That's how far down the road they've gone with this thing. So, there was a shareable moment. Mueller stated that his report was not a total exoneration of the president as, as president Trump had actually claimed numerous times, but it wasn't powerful. It wasn't a powerful moment that they could kind of capitalize on because the conclusion was already in the document itself. We've already heard that it's already been highlighted repeatedly. Um, polling shows that Americans disagree with Trump's overbroad boast about the extent of his exculpation. Um, and when I say the public, so lesser informed American, you know, people who, you know, they're, they're low on the news consumption cycle, or they consume a lot of news, but they consume a lot of news. That's not really news. They consume fake news. And that's not an insult to people who obviously in my estimation and in my view, when I look out at Americans and I meet someone and they say, Oh, I didn't know you had a podcast, you know, or I've never heard of you before. I've, or, or I don't listen to political radio. I don't get insulted by that. And I'm not shocked by it at all. People have lives. And not everyone's interested in politics. Now, I do hold that as a member of the actual sit, you hold citizenship in this country, it's your duty to be mildly acquainted with politics to the point that you can support your Christian worldview. In other words, you can exercise your voting obligation with a Christian worldview by being informed and aware of what's going on. You don't have to be listening to politics every day, but you want to be acquainted with the news and aware of what each political party is trying to do, what their platforms say. And when it's time to vote, which of them is going to leave you able to stand the scrutiny of the judgment seat. And I I know There are some people out there who really hate it when I bring this up, but there's a reason why I'm saying it because no one should be surprised when we are called to account for our actions on this earth, that we would also be count that some of those actions that we would be accountable for would be in the realm of how we voted or didn't vote. Um, You know, what issues we said, well, God's not going to mind if we have abortion some of the time, or God's not going to mind if taxpayers fund abortion in our country. Or I can't control other people who, what choice they make. And it's not just abortion. It's every issue. God ordained our ruler, our our status as rulers over the, the earth. And understand what I'm saying here. We're the gardeners. We're supposed to tend the garden. So we are supposed to take care of the environment and and everything, the earth and all, all, all that's within it, the animals, everything. 
we're also supposed to take care of the government that rules over us, meaning consent of the governed. Obviously, we elect our officials and they represent us. We're responsible for what they do because we're electing them. They're responsible for what they do because they're taking actions on behalf of the American people or in opposition to what the American people want. And all of us will be held accountable for our role in all of that. So it's not that I'm trying to go, like, ooh, the boogeyman. No, it's not a boogeyman. It's, it's what the Bible says about how we're going to be held accountable and there's no escaping it, which is why it's so important that we're, you have to be aware. You don't have to be a political junkie. You don't have to be immersed in it all the time, but you have to be aware and you have to be fully, you, you need to be fully understanding your responsibility. So, um, you know, when they were discussing collusion today, Mueller was actually very, he was unable to really speak cogently to the collusion. He tripped all over himself. He initially stated that conspiracy and collusion were not colloquial synonyms. But then if you look at the report, the report says they are. When he was pressed on that inconsistency, he deferred to the written report, which actually supports President Trump's claim that there was no collusion. So what's important about this? Well, it happened. It's been kind of, you know, people have been building up to it. He's, you know, Mueller's going to testify and he's going to bring down the president. That's hardly what happened. Um, so the other thing that I think is, is worth pointing out as we close out this particular subject is that the assertion that somehow receiving opposition research from anyone is outside of the bounds of what is acceptable in American politics, it's nothing has changed. In fact, we know that nothing has changed because foreign governments have given oppo research on American candidates to Democrats before, and it's never been an issue. And it won't be an issue in the future. If foreign governments or foreign agents or even foreign people had something they felt was relevant to President Trump, something that could help take him down, and they gave it to the Democrats, they would use it. Hello, what do you think the dossier was? The dossier was not written by an American citizen. It was not written in America. And it was paid for by Democrats and they used it to create this whole witch hunt. So, you know, there it is. <laughs> and I got to say, when I was thinking about what his testimony would be today, I didn't think it was going to be good. Um, everybody's mad about it. He seemed unfamiliar with the key parts of his own thing. He walked back a statement and, and all in all, everyone feels that this was a disaster for the Democrats. Now, there was the other story um, that was, I thought was uh, kind of really crazy. Um, and that is, so did you guys see the video? Did you happen to catch the video of Rashida Tlaib, one of the squad members? She was at a Trump event and she had to be escorted out and she was jumping up and down like a man and bouncing around with her arms filling and just, you know, screaming at the people who were, they were like, you've lost your mind. And she was screaming back at them and cursing. And it just makes me wonder if she might actually have some kind of like, well, I hate to say she's mentally ill because that's a way, um, that's a way that people get away with their bad behavior. Some people are just evil. Their actions are evil. And what we do when we say they're mentally ill is we take away their responsibility for what they've done. They're responsible and we shouldn't be giving them a pass on that. There are mentally ill people, um, but Tlaib, I, I, I don't think she's one of them. She says... She likens the anti-Israel boycotts to the American boycott of Nazi Germany in her floor speech. Unbelievable. She just doesn't know when to quit. And we should be, I guess, happy um, that she's doing that because it just makes the Democrats look awful. So um, now I want to turn over to something that, so this is for parents. And I, I'm so, and if you're not a parent, but you have any kids in your life, this is for you. CNBC is reporting that Facebook has issued a warning. There's a flaw in Messenger. It messenger kids, by the way. So let me just go ahead and out myself. I don't have messenger. Yes, I have Facebook. And yes, when I'm on Facebook, I can communicate in messaging. But if you've ever messaged my private Facebook account and you noticed you haven't gotten a message back, it's because I rarely check the messages in that one. Because if you want to contact me, you can text me. And if you don't know me well enough to text me, then you can message me at the Stacy on the Right Show page. And I respond to that page pretty quickly. Like I'm constantly in there responding to those messages. So this flaw in Messenger Kids lets children chat with strangers. So my question is, first of all, 
why do your why why do your children need Facebook Messenger kids? Why are your kids on Facebook? So our kids had to be a certain age before they were allowed to get on Facebook, and even then they had private accounts. So the the account was not discoverable by a member of the public. You had to actually know them, and they had to message you, friend you, which meant they only had like ten friends each. All right, kind of unbelievable, right? We'll be back with more after this last segment of the show. Stay there. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avo bet. Hey! for taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're going to be fine. You sing? Barely. V is for variety. Huh, change up my strategy. Okay. O is for optimize your savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life. Young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Man, I love my kids so much. I once sat for three hours in the cold rain to watch her soccer team lose by 18 goals. I love my kids so much, I once used a tube to suck snot out of her stuffed nose at 3 a.m. You win. Love your kids? Love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat. From toddlers to tweens, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to find the right seat for their age and size. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood or an earthquake is destroying buildings. Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Hey, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Listen, I would, here's what I'm looking for. Uh, this is one of those things where I can't believe um, this is something that's happening to us. But then I, as I was reading the story, I thought to myself, this, I'm doing this too. So raise your hand, you know, like the little church. So it's basically one finger and you put your finger in the air. If you've ever been to one of those Southern churches where when you get up to use the bathroom, instead of just getting up and walking out, you put your finger in the air and the finger means, pardon me, because <laughs> People are looking at you now instead of looking at the pastor while he's preaching. Anyway, raise your finger if you actually eat while you're staring at a screen. They have a new term for this phenomenon. It's called zombie eating. 88% of adults dine while staring at a screen 
this is according to a study that's out. Uh, so this is out of New York City. And they're talking about this study, a survey of 2,000 adults that found that a whopping 88% are so-called zombie eaters who stare at some kind of screen while they're eating. The survey was commissioned by Pretzel Crisps and aims to shed some light on American eating habits. Results indicate that Americans are so glued to their screens, they rarely stop staring even to eat. The average U.S. eater will stare at their phone twice over the course of any given meal and will only have five screen-free meals per week. Okay, so I'm right now, I got my little notepad here that I keep during the show. My goal is to have, well, first of all, there's three meals a day, right? So that's 21 meals a week. So my goal is to have, let's say, half of those. So 10, that's a little less than half, 10 screen-free meals per week. Now I can, I can think right away if we just don't have our screens at dinner, that's seven of those. I, so doesn't it make you wonder what did we do before we had these cell phones that we stared at? Oh, I know what I did. So I'm a, I'm everybody who knows me personally knows I'm really big into interior design stuff. And it's like a little, it's just a little hobby. And what I used to do is I would check out books at the library and I would always check out a few magazines. And while I'd be eating, I'd be flipping through the magazines. And obviously my situation may be a little different because I work from home. And before I worked from home, I was full-time stay-at-home mom. So the kids, if they weren't here, I'm eating by myself, obviously. Most of that time I'm eating by myself. And in doing that, um, I would be... Like you so you're eating by yourself. So what am I supposed to do? Talk to the dog? I mean, I, I could watch television, which I wouldn't be doing because we haven't been live TV people for at least 10 years because we used to have a TiVo. Uh, so, you know, it's never been where I was just sitting around watching television while I was eating. It was always I would be reading something. So the phone reading on the phone has taken the place of reading magazines and books that I used to read while I would eat. But it's interesting because they have some kind of interesting details here on this one. Um, So first of all, zombie eating is an almost universal practice. In today's culture, 91% of respondents reported watching television while eating a meal or snack. 49% say they watch TV while eating on a regular basis. Most people are very picky about what they watch while they eat, with 83% of respondents reporting they've had food go cold while they deliberate on what to watch. Well, I don't have that problem. Sometimes whatever on this is on the screen takes precedence over the food that's right in front of us. 86% of respondents say they've even forgotten to eat their meal because they were preoccupied by the screen. What are they eating? So what they're eating must not be very tasty because I, I always finish my food. Um, what? So what is keeping Americans so busy that they can't unglue themselves from a screen to eat? The number one reason 50% of Americans stay on their smartphones while eating is to read or send emails. Also, 48% stay on their phones to check out social media. 37% watch YouTube videos. 36% say they focus on work-related activities. Hmm. So the zombie eating phenomenon also seems to impact where Americans are eating. The office lunch break is a welcome relief from monotony in office life, but 67% of respondents say they now take their lunch breaks in the office so they can stay connected. 22% say they eat lunch right in front of their computers. Um, I'm guilty of that. And then the average respondent reports eating three meals per week sitting at their desk. So I also want to point out another study that I read, would, and this is all a part of the whole weight loss you know, information type thing, uh, talked about how so when you're zombie eating, you're mindlessly eating. So you you miss the trigger that your body gives you when you're that you're full. And so one of the things that I've noticed about every single like if you look at dietitian websites, if you look at what dietitians say about eating, they all say the same thing about so you want to get screens out of your way, you want to get your phone out of your way, you can turn some music on, you can even turn on like the radio to listen to something. But it, it can't be so all-consuming that you, you're not aware that you're eating because you have to be able to acknowledge the signal that comes from your body that you're full, that you should slow down and stop eating. 
and you can't you miss that if you're engaged in something else while you're eating. The other thing that I read in numerous weight loss books that I've that I've read over the past I'd say maybe six months that I've been really delving into this is that if you make eating an experience, so you make sure you have a napkin, you make sure you have a drink, don't just grab something and eat it and then maybe get a drink later, but actually have a full sit, put your food on a plate, you know, not a napkin, sit down, actually begin to eat and think about the food that you're eating and, you know, basically try to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's actually sitting down and having a meal, whether you're with people or whether you're by yourself, then you hear the signal, you feel, you feel the signal that you're full or that you're getting full and you slow down and then finish your drink, uh, you know, take your vitamins or whatever, and then put your plate and everything away, clean up, you know, wash your plate or put it in the dishwasher, put your glass away, throw your napkin away, what have you. Then when you do that and you complete that, it's because eating is a ritual, just like everything else we do, taking showers, everything else. Then when you complete the ritual in that way, that you're training yourself to basically experience your food and enjoy it because we're meant to enjoy our food and then you feel much more satisfied. So doing it in that way satisfies you. Not only are you full, you know, technically you've eaten, you're full, but you've also had the experience of eating your food from beginning to completion, which satisfies a mental type of a thing. You know, I want to eat and enjoy my food. You've done that. So you check that off mentally and then you can move on and you won't be tempted to eat again until you're hungry. But it takes time to transition from zombie eating like what's being described here to that. I think it has some real merit. This this discussion has real merit um, when you think about how Americans are eating and the percentage of us that are overweight and uh, you know, kind of just taking your own personal inventory. So I thought this story was interesting for today because, you know, yesterday we were talking about weight loss and, and all of that. And uh, so the link to this will be in the story, the, the not the story, <laughs> the show notes uh, for today on listen.stacyontheright.com. Um, and please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever your favorite podcast medium is. Hit the subscribe button so you'll make sure you won't miss any of our programming. So, uh all of the screen time, according to this study, is cutting down on the time Americans spend in the place where most meals are traditionally eaten, or it used to be, which is the kitchen table. The average American only eats three meals per week at their kitchen table, and most of the time that used to be spent at the kitchen table is now being spent on the couch, 79%, standing on the kitchen counter, 64%, in bed, so eating in bed, 61%, or sitting on the floor, 48%. The propensity to stare at a screen during every free moment has also led to many respondents, 26%, reporting that they spend much more time grazing throughout the day or eating smaller portions more frequently and avoiding larger meals. Finally, on a quirky note, the survey also pinpointed the exact minute of the day when most Americans get a craving for a snack. And according to 2000 survey respondents, that time is 2.37 p.m. or almost exactly halfway through the live stream of this show. What? So are you guys eating during the live stream? Is that true? Do you find yourself craving something to eat at 2.37? Uh, that, that is interesting. So look for this in the show notes if you want to share it or you want to read some of this information for yourself. Um, I think it's worth it for, for my part. I just think when I have been more in tune with what I'm eating, it has made me eat less. I have had, you know, and, and had less cravings for, you know, I just want a little something. Um, that That's all connected, I think. And so we'll see. We'll see how that cracks up. I'll definitely report back on, on anything that I learn about that. Um, so then there's also, speaking of religious freedom, this was pretty interesting. So, you know, they have a Western Conservative Summit every year. And... Uh, it's held in Denver, Colorado, and it was held earlier this month. Now, we've covered Albert Moeller here on the show uh, occasionally in the past, and uh, he is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and when he was speaking at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver earlier this month, he spoke about the threats to religious freedom in the United States, but he said that the great challenge to religious liberty in our times is not a threat at all to liberal religion. 
The quote from him is, those churches and denominations have long ago surrendered to the moral revolutionaries, and they simply don't believe anything sufficiently biblical or theological to get any of them into any trouble. They can afford to put quotation marks around religious liberty because they've already put quotation marks around God. Wow. He's swinging the sledgehammer right there, isn't he? Uh, so that I thought that was a fascinating quote from him um, and good on him for calling it out. And this isn't to say that you can't, you know, believe in taking care of the poor or what have you, but it is to say that if we are to go by what God's word says, we have to be absolutely certain that what the Bible says is what supersedes what we believe politically. And then this is a tough subject for some people because they have, political beliefs that they allow to be more um, they, they take more precedence over their biblical beliefs and that's out of order that's not what God has for us God does not want us to say well I'm a Democrat so I believe in X or I'm a Republican so I believe in Y and the Bible says something else it has to be that what God's word says comes first and then everything else can fall in line along those lines uh, so I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a preview for the rest of this week. Mainly, I have on, in mind for us to have some guests um, on tomorrow's show and the day after, and I'm working on getting those lined up. And it's just been kind of a process doing each thing. It's like you master one thing and then you move on to the next, master one thing, move on to the next. So we've, we've got some good stuff going. If you're just tuning into the show or you've just found it, uh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Don't forget to share the show on the live streams on Facebook, you know, YouTube. Oh, and obviously the Periscope, we're not streaming there, but we would like to get that back going again. Um, so I'm going on to the live streams and I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking on the live streams. There's a lot of, lots of comments. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A lot of people have comments about the Mueller report. Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm really su surprised that, um, that he allowed himself to be used in that way. And maybe he didn't have a choice. Maybe he really couldn't defy their subpoena, but it seems like I probably would have. Um, hey, everyone over here on also the, the, yeah, the YouTube live stream. Perfect. So thank you so much for being there. Um, awesome to have so many people tuning in and being a part of the show on the streams. Um, so couple of things um we had sound issues which we i hope are resolved today so if you're listening to the show and you think the sound sounds good i'd love it if you'd reach out um and let me know what you think of the sound because we're constantly improving and trying to get it, it's a learning curve so please remember i'm working with different equipment than we originally had because we had to replace equipment and what we're working with i think is much better quality um, it's at least for the mixer, definitely, because I had a, a much, it's, it was a different mixer before. Um, and now we have one that is better equipped for what we're doing here in the studio. And, uh, <laughs> that was loud. If you just saw me jump. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's what we're going to do. God bless you from the heartland. Have a fantastic evening. And I'll be back with you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Central, for the live stream.